joining us to discuss the news year that was is the host of WBEZ's The Reset. Jen White is here. Jen, welcome back to Bocalo. Hello. Hello, my friend. Hello. I'm happy you're here. Chicago uh, was the hub of a lot of art and culture for the rest of the world. It was also uh, where a lot of news originated. So mm-hmm. we didn't have to look very far for stories with impact. Uh, we got more big news that caught national attention than most places, including our historic mayoral election. Uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot was uh, was voted in earlier this year. Let's hear a little bit from Chicago's new mayor. Today, you did more than make history. You created a movement for change. This is not us versus them or neighborhoods versus downtown. We are in this together and we will grow together. No, it was uh, quite the story, quite the election, and you all covered it so well. What about this story grabbed the rest of the nation's focus? So, uh, first of all, she's the first black woman to be elected mayor in the city of Chicago. She's also the first openly gay mayor the city has. And she, this is the first elected office that Mayor Lightfoot has, hold, has held. Um, of course, she's known for her time working on the police board. So she's, she's a familiar figure, but she's never held elected office. And she was running against Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle, mm-hmm. who has a lot of experience, deep roots in Chicago politics. Uh, she's also the chair of the Cook County Democratic Party. She was endorsed by CTU. But it's not just the fact that Lori Lightfoot won this election. It was that she won all 50 wards. She mm-hmm. won over 70 percent of the vote. It was just a decisive victory. Um, But then we saw from the earliest days of her tenure that she was going to set some pretty strict boundaries with city council. She did not come to play with city council. She really didn't. She came back rolling back aldermanic prerogative, um, clashing with the longest serving alderman, uh, Ed Burke, who we should mention is under federal indictment right Mm -hmm. now. But there's this really striking moment at the first city council meeting where she just sort of sits Alderman Burke down. She's like, when I want to hear from you, I'll let you know. And it was striking when you think about the last, uh, the first black mayor in Chicago, Harold Washington, and how Alderman Burke um, and the council wars and and how Alderman Burke was part of this contingent that really tried to block Mayor Washington's um, agenda. And here's Mayor Lightfoot coming in and saying, it's a new day, have a seat. And uh, I was following the debate about uh, the marijuana law in city council yesterday. And one of my colleagues, uh, Heather Sharon, who's at the Daily Line, she tweeted, quote, I'm witnessing the most sustained parliamentary debate in years at the city council. And Alderman Ed Burke of the 14th has not spoken once. Mm-hmm. And oh. so it's this really interesting moment, I think, in Chicago politics where you see the shift in the power dynamics. And to be fair, we're still very early in Mayor Lightfoot's tenure. Um, But it'll be interesting to watch how her political power shapes itself um, over the next few years. Yeah, let's hear from uh, Mayor Lightfoot at the city council. Uh, It was was a wild day. Alderman Burke um, is somebody who likes to test people. He likes to see if there are weaknesses. And he has attempted to do this in the past with me, and he's failed spectacularly every time. And every time he tries it, he will again fail spectacularly. I'm not going to start off my term as mayor with the city council putting up with somebody who is just playing games for the sport of it. The people in the city expect us to do our jobs. They expect the government to actually work on behalf of the people and not have a Game of Thrones gamesmanship on the floor of the city council. I'm not having it. 
everybody in Chicago who's ever had a black woman mad at them just... <laughs> I'm just going to go stand over there for a minute. Sorry, I don't even know what I did. I don't even know what I did, but I'm sorry. I'm Jill Hopkins. This is Jen White. We're talking about the biggest news stories of 2019. Once again, uh, the world was watching when Gail King interviewed R. Kelly for CBS Oof. this morning regarding what would become a host of new accusations against the R&B singer for the abuse of underage girls. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you have never held anybody against their will. I don't need to. That, Why would I? Well, I'm, I'm, How stupid would it never be held for anybody? R. Kelly with all I've been through in my way, way past to hold somebody, let alone four, five, six, fifty, you said. What, how stupid would I be to do that? I didn't say you That's were holding. That's stupid, guys. I didn't. Is this camera on me? Yes, it's on. That's stupid. Use your common sense. Don't forget the blogs. Forget how you feel about me. Hate me if you want to. Love me if you want. But just use your common sense. How stupid would it be for me to, with my crazy past and what I've been through, Oh, right now, I just think I need to be a monster and hold girls against their will, chain them up in my basement and and don't let them eat and don't let them out unless they need some shoes down the street from their uncle. Stop it. Y'all quit playing. Quit playing. I didn't do this stuff. This is not me. I'm fighting for my life. We all saw that interview. Uh, We all... Uh, paid attention to the aftermath of that interview. Uh, Where are we at this point in the year with the R. Kelly case? Well, R. Kelly is facing multiple federal and state charges. Um, He's currently um, being detained. And most recently, and and this is why I thought of this story. I mean, this is something we've been following really for for years. And I have to shout out my colleague, Jim Mm DeRogatis here, um, who was talking about the allegations against R. Kelly long before um, it bubbled up into media in any significant way, um, before the Dream Hampton documentary from Lifetime surviving R. Kelly, he'd been banging this drum. Somebody needs to look at this. Somebody needs to investigate this. The police need to be on top of this. Um, but the reason why this bubbled up for me was because the most recent charge against R. Kelly is for bribery. Mm-hmm. And it's related to his marriage back in 1994 to singer Aaliyah when she was 15 years old. And the charge there is about um, him bribing um, officials to get fake ID for Aaliyah so that they could falsify a marriage document um, or fa- falsify identification for her so that they could go ahead with the marriage, making her appear older than she than she was. You know, I I'm a native Detroiter and mm-hmm. as was Aaliyah. And I remember when that news first came out and how everybody sort of looked at each other like, well, that's weird. Yeah. But it Same didn't here in Chicago, you know, yeah. but it didn't raise the sorts of alarms that it should have. Yeah. You know, and now here we are, 2019, and he's being charged with a crime related to that. And she's no longer living, as we know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also been really fascinating to me to watch over the course of the year people who still defend him and he's claimed no wrongdoing we should you know make that clear but the allegations against him when I hear people defending him it's not that they say he didn't do it their argument is that these girls these quote-unquote fast girls and I just want to encourage anyone who has that perspective to just do a little reading about adolescent brain development yeah Honestly. And and why it's important for us to 
hold adults accountable for actions and not place the burden of responsibility on young people whose brains and executive functions are not fully formed. There's a reason why we do that. Um, so we'll see what happens with R. Kelly's trials. Um, we'll, we'll see if, you know, they reach some kind of plea agreement or if he ends up going to trial. Um, but this is going to be a story that continues to play well into 2020. I'm Jill Hopkins. It's Peace Prize Thursday. We're counting down the top news stories of 2019 with Jen White from WBEZ's The Reset. The Chicago Teachers Union went on strike this year, and we saw quite a bit of tension during the process between Mayor Lightfoot and the CTU. Here's CTU President Jesse Sharkey at the end of negotiations. I think that um, this has been a tense last two weeks, and um, but it's not about me or the mayor. This is about the members of the Chicago Teachers Union. It's about, about 20,000 teachers um, and thousands of education support workers and clinicians. And um, frankly, our members are still out there on the picket line today. And um, they don't need to see me smiling with the mayor when, in, in fact, what they, they need to see is they need to see that we have a tentative agreement. We now have a return to work agreement. Uh, frankly, it's been hard on teachers. Um, to be out this long. And uh, it's been hard on parents to be out this long. It's been hard on our students. And um, so, I, you know, I, I just didn't feel like doing a, um, a celebration lap with, with the mayor right now. That's not what our members um, need to be looking at. That's not what the people of the city need to be seeing. That strike lasted two weeks. And of course, it was a big deal in Chicago, but it was referenced in national Mm -hmm. news. Why did this strike such a chord with folks? Well, I mean, I think, first of all, you're talking about a huge school system. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the other thing that really made it reach national attention is that this was not really a fight about salary and, and benefits. It started to be more about the quality of education we're providing for kids. And um, CTU argued that, look, classes are too full. We don't have the kind of support staff we need. It was an arg- They were forming an argument about the students. It wasn't about salary. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had presidential, uh, uh, people running for the presidential, uh, Democratic presidential nomination coming in. You know, you had Elizabeth Warren stopping by to... Uh, support the CTU. Um, you had Bernie Sanders coming in to support CTU. Um, and, and we can't ignore the fact that school support staff, uh, represented by SEIU 73, they were also out for, for, seven, for yeah. seven days. Real concerns about low pay. They're some of the lowest paid workers. Um, benefits, that they don't have enough resources to provide adequate support for students. They oftentimes work with students who have special needs. So I think it was this larger conversation about what do we want schools to be? What does equitable education look like in Chicago and and across the country? And what's interesting is that CPS CEO Janice Jackson and the mayor have now formed this working group to look at how we fund schools in Chicago more equitably. Now, that's not a question that's limited to Chicago. You have to talk about the state funding model as well. But they're starting to look at that and figure out, you know, why do we have pockets in the city where schools have more money than others when arguably, you know, all kids should should have what they need. So that'll be something we watch into 2020. It's Peace Prize Thursday. I'm Jill Hopkins, and we're talking the biggest news stories of 2019 with the illustrious Jen White from WBEZ's The Reset. Thank you for joining me. This is honestly a pleasure. Now, I don't know, Jen White, if you heard that yesterday the president of the United States 
was impeached by the House of Representatives. What? I know. Well, you know what? I'll let Nancy Pelosi talk about it. As Speaker of the House, I solemnly and sadly open the debate on the impeachment of the President of the United States. If we do not act now, we would be derelict in our duty. It is tragic that the President's reckless actions make impeachment necessary. He gave us no choice. Sadly, the American people have witnessed further wrongs of the President which necessitate the second article of impeachment, obstruction of Congress. When the President's wrongdoing was revealed, he launched an unprecedented, indiscriminate, and categorical campaign of defiance and obstruction. Never before in the history of our nation have we seen a President declare and act if, act if he is above the law. The President goes even so far as to say and act on this absurdity when he says, Article 2 says I can do whatever I want. No, it doesn't. The yeas are 230, the nays are 197, present is one, Article 1 is adopted. The question, the question is on adoption of Article 2. The question is on the adoption of Article 2. Those in favor say aye. Those opposed, nay. The ayes have it. The ayes have it. That was Speaker of the House. Uh, House Majority Leader Nancy Pelosi yesterday. This was a, a this is like somebody dropping an album on December 28th. That's like the hottest fire. <laughs> no, you have to squeeze it in to your to your oh, best of list. Oh, this uh, I'm not going to say came out of nowhere. Uh, we've been in the middle of this uh, for a while, but yesterday it was official. Yeah, yeah, and and this is. This is important and it's historic because it's the only the third time mm -hmm. in history a sitting president has been impeached. Um, back in 1868, it was Andrew Johnson. Mm -hmm. um, he was impeached in the House. He avoided being removed from office by the Senate. In 1998, it was Bill Clinton. People often uh, lump President uh, Richard Nixon in with this, but he was actually never impeached. Oh, he he resigned. resigned before the House yeah. got the chance to vote. So beyond the fact that this is happening for only the third time in U.S. history. It's also happening in the midst of a presidential election mm -hmm. cycle. And, you know, when you, I don't know how many people really tune in. I, I had to listen to a good chunk of this. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of just playing in the background for me a lot of times at work. But what you hear are completely different realities playing out in the House as they were debating this issue. Um, you have... Democrats saying, you know, the president tried to commit a crime. That's an impeachable offense. He obstructed justice. You have a Republican saying, not saying that he didn't do what the president himself has said he did, mm -hmm. but that it's not an impeachable offense. It's, it doesn't reach the level of high crimes and misdemeanors. Um, and during the debate yesterday, the rhetoric was just so... Gosh, it was so over the top. At one point, uh, one Republican, Representative Barry Loudermilk from Florida, compared the impeachment trial to the trial of Jesus under Pontius Pilate. And at that point, I was like, oh, OK, so that's where we are. Okay. All right, this this All is right. happening. <laughs> um, but it was just a day of really impassioned speeches from both sides. And as you heard there, the corruption charge passed 230 to 197, two Democrats voting with Republicans um, against that charge. And then the obstruction of Congress passed 229 to 198 with one Dem voting with Republicans. And then another first in history, mm -hmm. you had a congressperson voting present 
on an impeachment vote. Tulsi Gabbard, the Democratic congresswoman from Hawaii, she's Mm -hmm. also running to be the Democratic presidential candidate. She voted present on yeah. both of these questions. Uh, I didn't know questions. that wasn't an option for a yes or no question, but I, I guess it is. Uh, it, it is, in fact, an option, and she exercised that option yesterday. So it'll be interesting to see how that comes up um, if she makes it back onto a debate stage between now and the primary. You know what? I bet nobody mentions it. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's going to forget between now what? and then. The holidays, you know, you got to lower your mind. Uh, things went right down the middle with party lines. It's a very divisive time in American politics. But one thing that brought all of Chicago together, at least, uh, happened over the summer. We wanted to find out what would happen to a new resident of Humboldt Park. No, this wasn't about gentrification. (laughs) When a reptile that we collectively agreed to call Chance the Snapper, and that was one of the greatest votes I've ever been a part of, was spotted at the lagoon in the center of the park, we rallied around our new city mascot and hoped his ordeal would end safely. And that's where a man named Alligator Rob came in to save the day. We ended up catching the animal again last night about uh, 1.30 a.m. on the north side of the island there behind you. Vocalized, uh, saw his eye shine, and caught him on the fishing rod, and uh, it went down pretty fast once we finally saw him. We, I think we had taken eight loops around the, the uh, lagoon and surrounding areas before we finally saw him, uh, but once we were able to see him, uh, it was one cast, and, one cast and done. How is Chance doing? He's doing quite well. You know, alligators all have individual personalities, and he was a little shy at first, but uh, I guess that's to be expected. He went through a lot. Now, how did St. Augustine end up being Chance the Snapper's new home? Well, we're an accredited zoological facility. In fact, the only place in the world where you can see every species of crocodile and alligator. And so, uh, you know, we've been been doing alligators for 126 years now. And uh, Frank Robb is a friend of ours. He doesn't work for us. That's been kind of a misnomer in some of the press. But, but he's, a, he's a friend. He's done some research here. And uh, when we recommended him to go out there and trap the alligator, he kind of in turn recommended that the alligator live here. And in his words, you know, it's a, it's, it's a great place to retire. It's Florida, <laughs> and uh, we know what we're doing with alligators, and, and uh, people are excited to see him here. So it all has a, been a good combination. The saga of Chance the Snapper is uh, my favorite news story of 2019. I'm so glad that it popped up in your <laughs> mind, too. Tell us more about this ordeal, because honestly, it, it gripped the nation. Well, it really did, and I think I think part of it was just like the mystery of like, how did he get there, yeah. and, and is he okay? And just seeing the city and the nation rally around this little, like, four or five foot alligator hanging out in this lagoon like dudes give me some space because you know people were coming out to party there were mariachi bands there was a guy with a rotisserie chicken on a string i mean like they were every but but the but the focus was on getting chance to a place that was safe Mm -hmm. and just seeing people really celebrate and rally around this it seems so it seems so small and unimportant but like it made my heart glad in in the midst of a year that felt like it was one negative news story after another to just see people Team Chance the Snapper, yeah. you know, and so he's in Florida at St. Augustine. We heard Zoo. from those folks, yeah, as we as we heard there, and he's doing great. He's just chilling out, enjoying mm. it, living his best life, mm. and and lovely little addendum to this story: Frank Robb 
the alligator uh, rescuer and his glorious beard. Oh gosh! Uh, apparently, found a lady friend. He found love in Humboldt Park. While he was in Chicago, and I, I just like yes, yes, you you gave to us, and Chicago gave back <laughs> to you, and that made me really, really happy. He got to turn on uh, the colored lights one night at Buckingham <laughs> Fountain. He threw out the first pitch at a Cubs game. He's like a, he's a Chicago celebrity. He's now. a Chicago celebrity. That man hasn't paid for a drink. <laughs> Anywhere for months, and uh, he's the doppelganger of W or a Vocalo DJ Collective member Shazam Bangles, and they finally got to meet each other. It was uh, it made my Twitter timeline <laughs> so much better. I, I we don't get stories like that very often yeah. that just have a happy ending, yeah. and we're just wonderful to watch the whole time. And the T-shirts that came out of it, amazing, <laughs> uh, amazing. The just the collective creative energy around this whole story. And I think people were looking for something Mm -hmm. to celebrate, something that we could share and just be happy about. And finding that story and seeing everybody rally around it, it it did my heart, it did my heart good. (laughs) Mine as well. I think uh, more people, uh, first of all, take care of your alligators. But second of all, like, keep an eye out for those heartwarming human interest stories. Uh, they're, They're out there. Yeah. And we need them now more than ever. Jen White is the host of WBE's Reset, which you can hear just down the dial. Let's do this more often. Let's do 